You're listening to the Type 1 Run Podcast. Leave no ones behind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of the show, which is now called the Type 1 Run Podcast. So, welcome to the first edition of the Type 1 Run Podcast. Once again, guys, thank you so much for following along with the show. I know now that I'm on the Type 1 Run team, it's going to make the podcast a lot more integrated into the diabetic running community. And naturally, we'll probably see more Type 1 Run members slash chapter leaders on the show. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the Type 1 Run Portland video. You can find it on the Type 1 Run YouTube channel or the Type 1 Run Facebook. But it's an awesome way for us to showcase chapter leaders from across the world and to kind of highlight some of the things that they're doing to better the Type 1 Run community all over the world. So, yeah, make sure to check that out. It's incredible. And it's really the essence of what Type 1 Run is all about. Type 1 is getting together and running. So I'm super excited to have James Mansfield on the show today. James is the co-founder of Type 1 Run, along with Craig Steubing. James is from LA and talks a lot about his experiences with Type 1 and running. And even though I already talked about the founding of Type 1 Run with Craig, I kind of dived into that a little bit with James as well. James and I talk about everything Type 1 and running. But most importantly, near the middle and end of the episode, we start talking about his impending transition from a pump, which he's been on for years, to multiple daily injections or MDI. And so I think it's a pretty awesome interview for anyone who has been on a pump for a while and is wanting to check out MDI or really vice versa, because we talk about the pros and cons for each. And here in this episode, you're going to get a super first person perspective of what it's like to make that transition. Not only do I talk to James before the transition to MDI, but we catch up with him three or four days later to get his initial impression on being on pins for the first time in years. And then we get another checkup after about two weeks to see his overall impression. So whether you're pump or MDI, I think this episode is going to be pretty interesting for you. Not only are you going to get to hear James talk about a bunch of inspiring stories from his running experiences with type one and the multiple marathons and other races that he's done. And you're going to get to hear a little bit about James's confliction between pumps and MDI and so whatever team you're on, I think this episode will be super interesting for you. Um, thank you so much for listening. And without further ado, here's my interview with James Mansfield. James, what's up? How's it going? Man, I feel like it's been a while that I've had you like on my list of people to interview. Only because I feel like you're probably the most influential runner, you know, in the diabetic community. I mean... What was that? I, I missed some of that. Like, I feel like you're one of the most influential diabetics in the running community. You think so? Yeah. I, don't know I mean, you <laughs> co-founded Type 1 Run and, um, you know, you're working with Beyond Type 1 now in terms of, you know, getting people out and running with diabetes. And so it only seems fitting that you come on the show. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty cool. And I'm I'm excited about your show and what you've been doing, too. Yeah. So talk to us about how, they, how LA is treating you these days. LA is great. You know, I see these pictures of people running in the snow and I'm sitting here, the sun is shining. We had a little bit of rain, but otherwise it's pretty much like perfect weather for any kind of sport that you want to do. So I've been training for this triathlon, running and swimming and cycling. And it's like, there's, there's never a day when you can't do one of those things. So there was a race in Griffith park today, right? There was, yeah. A couple or Jerry, do you know, Jerry, he ran that race. I know. Um, it, it looked like it's pretty rainy, yeah. Jerry and Kenny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I, I, there's no 50k trail races around here, but if there were, I feel like I'd have to be out of them. But if yeah. it was raining, who knew? I didn't sign up. I mean, I run in Griffith Park so often that I feel like I don't like paying for races there because then I feel like I'm just doing my training run and paying for it, you know? Yeah. Races can be expensive too. 
Yeah. So I, I was ask. thinking about volunteering for that. I volunteered for Griffith Park. They have a lot of these races. I volunteered for one a couple of years ago, and it was a complete disaster. Like people were being sent the wrong way. It was supposed to be a marathon, and we had people coming by our aid station who had run like thirty-five miles and stuff. <laughs> but but yeah, well, awesome. I have to ask because you don't uh, you don't have the typical LA accent. Talk to us a little bit about where you're from and how you found yourself in LA. Yeah, so I grew up in England, uh, and I moved to LA when I was about 14, so hence the reason my accent's kind of mixed up. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, my mom got remarried to an American guy and moved out here to live with him, and so I came here part of the way through high school and stayed here ever since. Were you happy about coming here? At the time, I had mixed feelings about it, but you know, looking back now, I definitely would not move back there permanently. Like It's, it's so beautiful. It's so nice here. And so diverse too. So you just can't leave the weather. I know the weather and the people too. You know, I go back to England and it's like. Also, I grew up in the countryside, and I'm you know I'm living in LA, so I have friends from places all over the world, and it's like uh, a lot more homogeneous there. So yeah. And so, where do you live in LA now? Do you live near Craig? In, uh, like, how close Echo do you Park. live to Craig? Yeah, Echo Park, which is. Uh, it's kind of close by Dodger Stadium, near to downtown. It's it's a really nice area, super walkable, great running. So, yeah, it's a great well, spot to be. Yeah, so I'll I'll kind of give you the floor. I'll let you talk a little bit about when you got diagnosed and if you've always been an athlete and how that transitioned into running for you. Yeah, so I was diagnosed about ten or eleven years ago. I was living up in San Francisco at the time. It was uh, my first year of college, and I think oh. I was doing midterms. Uh. I don't know how much you want to know about the diagnosis story because I feel like it's probably the same as everybody else's, you know. Like, well, it is, but it's almost fun how the same it is. You know what I mean? Like yeah. every time you meet another type one, you'll sit there and talk about your diagnosis story, and they're probably somewhat excited to hear about it, you know, because it doesn't happen too often. But yeah, um, that's true. And I know every week, yeah, you could listen to the show on Monday, and it sounds like everyone's is the same. But um, you know, I, I, every time I listen to someone's story, I always learn something new, and I take something out of it especially with late onset people like us. And so it's always way more unique that way in terms of like, you know, what made you actually end up go going in to get checked out. So, yeah, for me, I feel like I was in between. So like, I guess, you know, technically I would be late onset, but I was like 18 or 19. So I was right, right at the end of when I would have been pediatric, you know what I mean? So that was kind of funny, but, um, yeah, so I was in college and just gradually, uh, I started to get the symptoms like I was peeing all the time. I was super tired. I was getting these crazy leg cramps at night. And then uh, I didn't know what it was. And I wasn't really into seeing the doctor because I thought like, oh, I'll go and see the doctor. I'll take a test. They won't know what it is. They'll just tell me to come back in a week. So I didn't bother. And I just, in my head, I was like, oh, it'll go away. And I was looking up the symptoms online on WebMD and stuff like that. And uh, it's funny because now I know they're all the classic type 1 diabetes symptoms. But at the time I was like, thinking I had multiple sclerosis or all kinds of other stuff. (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) I still fear that. Yeah. And then I I couldn't see, like I was having trouble seeing the like whiteboard at school at work. I couldn't see the computer I was working on. And then there was one day where I just was so sick. I just couldn't even get up off the ground. Like I was curled up in a ball. And even leading up to that, I found like just walking up three steps would be like, felt like I was mounting Everest and I, I feel like I have a have an idea of what it's like to be old and decrepit yeah. just from 
<laughs> just from being in DKA. But yeah, oh, I went to see wait. the doctor. Doctor did a test, uh, and he listened to my symptoms. He was like, "Oh yeah, you're type two diabetic." And then he's like, um, "You know, did a urinalysis and blood test, and was like, I'll give you the results in a week." And then the next day, he called me up and he was like, "Okay, uh, you need to go to the emergency room right now. I've already booked you a room." And I think I had a I had a midterm at the time, and I was like, "Oh, I have to do this midterm. I'll go there after that." So I sat, took the test, and then right after my test, I went to the hospital. Was there for three days. They figured out it was type one, not type two, and then yeah, the rest is kind of history. How do you focus through a test when someone told you that you should be at the hospital? What kind of like, what? Know, how important was, was like, this test? <laughs> I was like so high strung about getting my midterms done and stuff, and I was like, oh, if I miss this, like it's gonna affect my grades, and yeah, so that was pretty stupid, but. I know right before I got diagnosed, like lifting my arms was like the heaviest thing. So I would have loved for an excuse not to have to take an exam. Oh, I know. I mean, I should have milked the excuse thing a lot more. But yeah, I was also finding I would just fall asleep in class and stuff all the time because I was so exhausted from it. But yeah. Wait, so uh, were you an athlete this whole time? Like, had no, you been no. training or I running? Like, what I don't was... know if I even call myself an athlete now. But, oh, uh... come on. Yes, you're an athlete now. <laughs> I'm an athlete. Yeah, no, I used to hate running. I used to hate all kinds of sports in school. You know, like I would never never do any of the seasonal sports. I was always in PE, physical education, and I would hate every minute of it. And then I didn't really get into running like for, I'd say towards the end of college, I, I started like running just for for kind of fitness and fun, but it would, I would be wearing like Converse and like street clothes yeah. and might be running like, not very far at all, like less than a mile at a time. Almost like you're run commuting somewhere. People probably yeah. like, oh, that guy's late for work. <laughs> exactly. Well, what I would do, I sign up for the gym, and so I run to the gym and then run home and do things like that. Oh, yeah. um, Free cardio. Yeah. And I had a roommate who liked to run, but she, well, she didn't really, she wasn't really a runner, but she'd like to go on a run every once in a while, which again was just like us running around the block kind of, uh, uh, you know, in our street clothes and stuff. Hey, all who then, run are runners. I firmly believe that. Yeah, it's true. If you put one foot in front of the other, you're a runner. Yeah. But my, I met my wife, and uh, she is a runner. Like, she runs very fast. She runs races and stuff. And so I still didn't really get into running. Even, you know, I enjoy watching her races, and it kind of inspired me. Um, and then over time, gradually I'd like run a little bit more. She encouraged me to get real running shoes and running clothes, which helped a bit. But in my head, I set myself this goal of like, when I turn 27, I'll run my first marathon. And something about that is what made it click. So like, uh, I was approaching 27. So I signed up for a 5k and then I found signing up for races made me run a lot more just on a daily basis. Cause I had to like work towards that goal. Yeah. So it got me out of the door every day. Cause I knew like I have to finish this race. Um, yeah. And then when I turned 27, I ran my first marathon, LA marathon. And since then it's history. I ran, I've run eight marathons since that, which was, that was two or three years ago now. So definitely in the last few years is when I, I really got into running. So I'm going to back you up. You met your wife in college. Met my wife at the end of college. Yeah. And what kind of, was she like a cross country runner or just ran a lot? She just ran a lot. I mean, she's similar to me in that, like when she was younger and in school, she used to hate running, but she had a lot of friends in college who were like legit runners. So she kind of got into it that way. 
So if you can remember, talk to me about the first time you ran with diabetes. So I, I don't know if I could remember like the very first time that I, I ran, but, uh, it could be worked out too. Cause I, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to feel what it's like to be, you know, in college and diagnosed with type one. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, maybe yeah. you're supposed to be out partying, studying, <laughs> and then now you're trying to balance some of these things that, you know, a kid would learn or, you know, maybe a 30 year old would have to learn later on. And, but, you know, they're not in that college atmosphere so they can have a little bit more flexibility and a little more yeah. personal space. I know when I was in college, you know, people are around constantly, you're doing stuff and it seems like a terrible time to get diagnosed with type one. Yeah, There's probably never a great time to get diagnosed with type one, but yeah, that's true. Uh, in college for me, I, that was like kind of a dark period in my diabetes because I didn't know anyone who, I didn't know any other type ones for like 10 years after diagnosis. Uh, and in college for a while, I went for, I would go for days without doing fingers. I wasn't on a CGM or thing, anything like that. And I would literally have contiguous days where I didn't even check my blood sugar once. I would wow. just kind of go by feel and be high all the time. So looking back on that, I don't have any, uh, I wouldn't say that I balanced it well whatsoever. I, I think uh, I made a few mistakes there, but what do you, what do you think your A1Cs were? in that time of your life, like where you could go days without checking? You know, not as horrendous as you might think, like eight, probably, probably eight. Yeah. I don't remember ever Makes having sense. Eight, like that much higher than, than. Yeah. I mean, theoretically it makes sense. As long as you knew like generally how much insulin you needed every day, you could give it to yourself without checking. Yeah. Not that anyone would recommend that, but the only thing you wouldn't be doing is adjusting if you went high because you wouldn't know if you're high. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, uh, you, it's like a roller coaster effect where like I would go low from having too much on, on board. And like, if I, I found, I lived in San Francisco for a while, whereas walking around taking public transit and stuff like that. And so I'd go low just from walking so much. Mm -hmm. And then I would feel a low, treat the low, go high. And it would just be like a roller coaster of bouncing up and down. But definitely in the last, like in the last few years, I've met other type ones. I got into running how did training start for you then? So, you know, maybe after college, you start training for marathons. How did you manage that at first without, you know, great sources to, to back up on as to say like, you know, what should a type one running marathon plan look like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So initially my, I, I was trying to just like run, let's say three miles continuously without stopping. Like the running itself was a limiting factor more than the diabetes, I would say. And I was, I was Googling a lot, like just Googling around, trying to find type one runners, trying to find people who had blogs that talked about it. And I didn't find too much, but like now in retrospect, there are a ton of people out there, you know, and now today there's things like your podcast, which are, which would have been an incredible resource for me right when I was starting out. But I found that a lot of times people would be reluctant to tell you exactly what they did, or they would say, you know, oh, it's different for everybody, which it is. Yeah. And I understand now, but at the time I found that frustrating because I, I like, it felt like there should be a set of rules that you can follow. You know what I mean? But, you know, I, I think I still get that a lot, you know, guests come on the show or I talk to people online and they're like, Oh, well it's different for everybody. And I can't help but think that if I always use that as an excuse, no one would ever share any sort of tips. You know what I mean? Cause everyone would yeah. just go to the doctor, do what the doctor says, and then not think about diabetes again until their next appointment in six months. But yeah, I feel like at some point 
if somebody talks enough about diabetes, you're going to at least be able to pull one or two things out that you can apply to yourself. And it actually does work. Like, you know, someone who's your exact height, exact weight, and is at the same place with their diabetes might be able to, you know, pick up James's training plan and run with it and run like a, you know, two hour marathon. And so, yeah, no, it's true. It, it's different for everybody, but there's something that you can learn from everyone at the same time. And, yeah. uh, yeah, and it's trial and error, but like speaking to other people and seeing what other people do are what give give you an idea of what to try for yourself as well. So, but yeah, I I know the frustration because I remember right when I got diagnosed, I started looking around, and I, I honestly I think one of the first things I found was Beyond Type Run, Beyond Type Run. Yeah. So, in in I've said this before that it's not necessarily an entity as much as it is kind of a movement, you know, kind of like an atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. But it inspired me, and it made me realize like, hey, I'm not the only diabetic out here who wants to run. And so watching yeah. those guys run, you know, NYC was incredible. And I took out a lot from that, even though they weren't specifically talking about how they were training or what they were doing in order to get them to the start line. So, yeah, you know, if you want, an, feel free to talk as much about how you made that transition. So here, you know, James is running three miles and is glad that he hasn't had to stop yet. How did you bridge the gap all the way to 26.2? Well, it's just, uh, you know, you just build it over time. So if you just follow a training schedule, if you can run one mile, they always say you can run a marathon. If you can run a marathon, you can run a 50K and so on. So it's just a matter of getting out there and doing it. Like, I feel like pretty much anyone can. Yeah. Um, Were you on a pump at the time or? Yeah, on a pump. When I first started running, I didn't have a CGM, which having a CGM has made a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, what I did when I was marathon training is I, I was training with this group, the LA Roadrunners, who were just kind of a training group for the LA marathon. And none of them were diabetic. And I would have this huge camelback to carry all my diabetes supplies. <laughs> and everybody just like thought I was out of my mind. And you, and I tried to explain like the whole thing about diabetes and why it's complicated for running. And, you know, everyone just kind of glazes over when, when you get into that. Um, yeah. And I would be like finger sticking every like I'd run, you know, a mile finger stick, a mile finger stick. And now just having the CGM and being able to just glance at my wrist or mm-hmm. look at my phone makes such a big difference. Yeah. Were you on like a regular pump at the time or an Omnipod? I guess I don't know how new Omnipods are. I think that's like a last three or four years thing, right? I think Omnipod has been around for a while, but yeah, I was on Medtronic. So when I was first diagnosed, I was on shots and then I had an Animas and then I've been using the Medtronic pretty much the whole time that I've been running. So, yeah, Medtronic, I've tried the Omnipod briefly, and I th- I thought the Omnipod was going to be, like, super cool from running because it's not doesn't have a tube. You don't have to worry about it bouncing around so yeah, much. But Craig loves it. I know. And I know a lot of people have it that do love it, but it's just the, the PDM, the controller for it, is even bigger than a Medtronic. Mm-hmm. And, like, technically, you don't have to bring that with you because you're still getting the basal from the, the pump being attached directly to you. Yeah. But I feel like, for me, it's like the whole point to a pump is being able to adjust my basal rate up and down as I run. So then I feel like I have to bring this PDM thing, which is like, it's enormous. I feel like it takes like 15 button presses to do anything on it. You can't see it in the sunshine. So yeah, I tried the Omnipod for a couple of weeks and I was like, ah, it's not for me. So what'd you do with all the stuff? what I do with all the stuff? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, actually Jerry, one of our type one runners, his brother who is, 60 something was recently diagnosed type one. He went into DKA. Wow. Yeah. He was misdiagnosed type two for like 10 years or something, which seems to be a common thread. Mm-hmm. 
but I gave Jerry the, uh, the, um, I had a bunch of pods and stuff. I gave him the whole thing to like ship up to his brother so he can try it out. See if he likes it. So the reason I asked is cause I've, you know, as we talked about, I've come off the pump lately. And so now I've got all these supplies and a part of me just feels guilty cause I'm kind of a, I'm a conservative type person. You know what I mean? I don't like to waste a lot of things. So for me, it seems wasteful for it all to sit there. And I just kind of contemplated what I'm supposed to do that I guess can't send it back. So they do have, there's some charities out there that will take that stuff. Um, I can't tell you who it is off the top of my head, but if you Google around, there are definitely charities that will take old pump supplies and stuff and, uh, give them to, uh, you know, people yeah. who need them, I guess. I need to look into that. I'm also, I haven't been using my Dexcoms lately either. So like maybe I'm, I'm probably just a blasphemous type one. I've just like taken off all my sites and I haven't got anything back on. How is it running with no Dexcom? Having just talked about you know, I thought it would be nerve wracking for a while, but to be honest, I got to a point where I wasn't using my Dexcom data for my runs anyway. I was just going off a of feel and a knowledge of kind of what my blood sugar would do based on exactly what I've eaten and how many units I've taken. And yeah, I think for me, the Dexcom was never really accurate for running anyway, because a lot of times. I know very well that I'm not dropping to 20, but my Dexcom will say I'm like three arrows down dropping. And I think a lot of it has to do with maybe the placement that I put it in oh, sweating. I, I think I'm a, I'm a hot guy. So I sweat a lot <laughs> and, um, not like, you know, good looking hot, which I mean, some people <laughs> think I am, but like temperature wise, I when sweat. I jog, I sweat constantly. Like I, like I wake up in the morning I open a yogurt and I'm sweating. I'm just a sweaty guy. And I so, feel like I'm the same way though, and the Dexcom like handles that perfectly for me. I guess I'm just lucky. See, I, I need to. I might need to move it to a different site though, because I always put it on my stomach because I was never comfortable with my arms. And for me, every time I ever ran with it, it would always finish significantly lower than where I knew I was. Like I could start at 120 and go on like you know a mile jog, and at the end of it, it would say I'm at 80, and I knew very well that I'm still at 120. You know, like I haven't probably moved. Yeah. And so I just stopped hmm. using it. And then one day I just never put it back on. It was like right at the same time I stopped using my pump. And uh, and you're able to maintain like pretty decent control that way? So this, and I don't recommend this to anybody, but between you and me, I think my control has been better since I came off the Dexcom. And wow. I'll, I'll tell you why. Because the OCD person in me would look at my Dexcom probably too much. And so... Yeah. Boom, you know, my carbs are perfect. My insulin is perfect. An hour and a half after I eat, maybe I start trickling back down and I'm trickling down some more and I'm, I've passed under 100 and now I'm at 90 and I'm, I'm at 86. And the whole time I'm OCD, so I'm like looking at it every four minutes, you know what I mean? Because I have an Apple Watch and it sends it right to there. Yeah. And I found myself giving myself like unnecessary highs and eating unnecessarily at times when I didn't need to. So I would look at my Dexcom and it would say I'm at, you know, 86 and slowly dropping and I would eat. And then I would go to check an hour later manually and I'd be at like 140 and I'd be like, dang it. You know, I bet if I didn't eat, I would have settled at like 85 and then slowly yeah. crept back up to a hundred anyway, you know? Yeah. It, it was yeah. almost, I mean, I did, it was almost giving thing. me too much data. Like my insulin's yeah. squared away. Like I'm. My insulin regimen is good. I know exactly what my carb ratios are, how much I should be taking on Lantus every night. And then Dexcom comes into play and all of a sudden I'm overusing it. Yeah. Um, and it's just psyching me out. I think that's probably the biggest thing. It psychs me out sometimes, whether or not I'm high or low. Yeah. 
And I just, so yeah, and then you can this isn't supposed to be about me. I'm sorry, but yeah, that's why I came off of it. Yeah. No, I uh, have you have you heard of a DIY loop system? I mean, you probably have. I haven't. No. Really? Um, so that's what I use. So the loop, you can Google it, loop or uh, Riley link. It's a DIY system made by the diabetes community, which is an app on your phone and a little radio transmitter that you carry around and it controls your pump. So it's similar to the Medtronic 670G, you know, quote unquote, artificial pancreas, where it pulls your uh, CGM readings, it takes your carbohydrate and predicts what's going to happen to your blood sugar. And so what it does is it increases or decreases your basal rate so that without you doing anything, it's controlling your blood sugar. Wow. So, for example, if I'm trending down, uh, you know, it'll turn off my basal. Or if, like, if I start to go high, it'll give me an increased basal rate until I come back down in range. Mm-hmm. So that's super helpful, like, especially at nighttime or, like, in meetings or any time that you're not, like, looking at your Dexcom every four seconds, the yeah. loop will take care of it for you. But it just made me think one of the things you were saying about how like, everything's dialed in, but you, like, psych yourself out looking at your Dexcom. Mm-hmm. It's kind of similar with the loop where... Uh, you know, you just have to trust it. Like it might look like you're trending up slightly, but it'll predict like, okay, you're going to go up and then you're going to come back down again. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just letting go and just uh, giving it a little bit of time is all it needs to get itself back in range. Yeah. And I I think that's what I've done by just coming off everything. I've just, I put complete faith in my insulin injections and I put complete faith in my schedule to know like, Hey, I'm going to be okay. Like, yes, it says, um, Yes, like if I had a Dexcom, it would say I'm 80 and dropping, but I'm probably going to be at 100 in an hour if I just don't do anything. Yeah, that's why I I was super stoked to see you go back on shots and find that like it wasn't causing you issues because it's it's been something that I've wanted to do for a while just to like not be hooked up to a pump the whole time and just keep things simple. And especially like a lot of the functions of the pump, like the, uh, the bolus wizard that calculates your dose based on your carbohydrates, I don't use the yeah. like all the different basal settings you can have. I don't use any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of like use the manual bolus and just like pick a dose. And so it's like, I'm not really using most of the pump functions. So I feel like it'd be nice not to be hooked up to it, especially running with the pump bouncing around to be able to just take shots and like head out the door without a bunch of stuff attached to me. That's what I hated the most. When I, like when I was marathon training with my pump and I had my belt on and it was tucked in there, like every half mile I would find myself like reaching to my hip to make sure my, you know, pump site was fine and I hadn't like pulled at it or yanked at it. And yeah, I feel so free. The last three to four weeks without a pump have been incredible and I've been sleeping throughout the night, which is amazing. Yeah. You don't have to do that whole, like you roll over and then you got to switch the pump over to your other side. And yeah. yourself off I will like say that. I was getting really good at side planks because in the middle of the night, oh, yes. you know, you side plank, unwrap yourself and then fall back asleep. But I mean, if you do that two or three times a night, that affects your I REM know. sleep, I you know? So <laughs> my core strength is going to go way down. <laughs> I I've slept so much better since I came off the pump and I, and that's not a good reason that other people should come off. It's just one of the side effects. And I don't even think it was the main reason that I came off. It's just one of the side effects. Yeah. I was just, uh, you know, like I, in my head, I'm like, well, you, if you have the basil on board, like the long acting basil, you can't like adjust that like you can with a pump, you know? No. So I'm so used to, because I've only been running since I've had a pump. I'm so used to doing the temp basils. So it's like, 
it's kind of a bridge to get over uh, how that basal is going to work. But it sounds like you can just, it sounds like for you, you have your full basal rate, don't even decrease it, and you don't really have too many issues. So I don't at all. Sometimes I'll lower it by one or two units if I've had like a big effort that day, but I don't yeah. worry about the next morning. So, so to like be honest, instance, that I run easy. first thing in the morning and let's, I'll take 20 units at night. I'll wake up the next morning. Let's say I wake up at 90. I might have like a spoonful of Nutella and then I can run, I can run hard. Like I could run a hard eight, 10 miles and I'm not going to go low once. And I, I won't even for eight or 10 miles. I won't check my blood sugar. I won't yeah. eat anything. I won't drink water. I'll just run and I won't have to worry about it at all. And that's first thing in the morning. You know, because I don't have any Novolog on board in the afternoons, of course, you know, with a little Novolog on board, that's a lot different. But um, people tend to naturally be more insulin resistant in the morning, too. So you're probably you're less likely to go low within like the first two to three hours of waking up anyway, especially if you haven't especially if you haven't eaten anything or taken any insulin. So I would start like when you go on injections, that would be my advice. Do those runs first and try running in the morning first before you kind of branch out to other times of the day. Uh, yeah, I, that was actually one question because I get a uh, dawn phenomenon. So, uh, you know, like I jack up my basal rate actually in the morning now recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, that's one of my concerns is if you just have the long acting on board all day and it's kind of that same rate, like how do you handle dawn phenomenon? So that isn't an issue I've had to have yet. I, and this isn't dawn phenomenon, but I, for a while when I was on a pump, I struggled with being able to eat carbs in the morning. Because it didn't matter how much insulin I threw at a cup of oatmeal, I was going to spike like double arrows up all day. I could pre-bolts an hour before. It didn't matter. I was going up. Um, but I found that if I could go like carb free in the morning, then I wouldn't have that issue. And so that's not really Don phenomena, but, um, you know, I've, I've read into it a little bit and Don phenomena and insulin resistance kind of go hand in hand when it comes to, you know, the different chemicals and hormones that are released during sleep. And so. Yeah. You can always, and in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have, um, an episode that features John Roth. who's an incredible, and this will be, you know, retroactive. So this episode will already aired, but John Roth is like an MDI master. He, um, he's on Levamir and he splits his dosages. So he, mm-hmm. I think had that same issue and he would take another injection of Levamir before he would go on runs in the morning or bike rides. And that was a way that he could help control his blood sugars in that scenario. So it's definitely worth an option. I mean, and you could always split your Lantus too. There's no one, there's nothing that says you can't, you'll just have to look yeah, at that, I'm gonna look give at it that Lantus coverage chart and see, you know, what's the yeah, best for it, you. Yeah. It maybe, maybe it'll be a whole disaster, but, uh, I feel like it's good to switch things up every once in a while and just, uh, you know, help for me with the, the, I get diabetes burnout and I feel like when that happens, just changing something up helps a lot. And I feel like for me too, because it's been so long that I've been on a pump and I've, uh, you know, I feel like I'm so reliant on the pump that it would be nice to know how injections work for me, you know, cause it's been over a decade so that if anything did happen with the pump and I had to go back on shots, like then I would, you know, be comfortable knowing exactly what my doses are, how it works and all yeah. that good stuff. So I'm telling you, I think you're going to love it because it's putting your faith back in yourself and not like yeah. this, not this system that you just hope does it right for you. You know what I mean? And at the same time, it takes off all this stress because yeah. you, you kind of relieve like, whereas now you've kind of relinquished a lot of control to the system. Yeah. But what if you were relinquishing control to yourself, but then letting go of that control? That's what going back on injections. I feel like has been like for me, 
And that's that sounds it's, so, it's so free. You know what I mean? Like right now, if I want to take off all my clothes and run down the street, I can do that. Um, yeah. You know, I could hop in a shower, not disconnect anything and feel like I'm on a leash. And yeah, I don't know. I, I spent my whole life feeling like this. And so I think it just, it was too much for me to have all that. And yeah. Yeah. But it's different sure. for you. I mean, like you said, you, you were kind of on the cusp of adulthood when you got it. So, you know, your personal place with diabetes is going to be a lot different than mine, I think, but I'm excited for you to try it. And yeah. I'm kind of excited to see kind of how it works for you and to get your mindset going into it. How, yeah. I mean, how long have you thinking about been thinking about going back on injections? A long time. I mean, I, like I've been running it in my head for years. Like, uh, I, I just, even when I, when I first went on the pump, I really didn't want to go on the pump. And then, then I started to have this idea of like, okay, I'll do, I'll take breaks. Like I'll do shots on the weekend and then the pump during the week. And then it just getting the prescriptions and getting that all lined up with the endocrinologist and everything just always seemed so much of a hassle that I just kept putting it off and putting it off. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah. in recent years I decided like, may as well give it a shot. And then there, um, you know, there's new insulins now like Traceba, Fiasp. And so I kind of want to give those a try as well. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. So I'm looking forward to it. I haven't read into Fiasp at all. So what is the, like, what's the upside of Fiasp as opposed to no log? Well, Fiasp is a little bit quicker acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I'm trying to remember what Fiasp stands for, but I think it might be like fast acting something or other. Oh yeah. It's an acronym. Cool. Yeah. Maybe I'm probably wrong. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, supposedly you, you can bolus closer to when you eat or right when you eat and the insulin curve hits you sooner than it would if you were using Novolog or Humalog. I mean, what my doctor has said is like, yeah, it's quicker, but it's just like a tiny increment faster. So it really doesn't make that much difference. But still, I'm, I'm still curious to try it, you know, and just see in practice if it makes any difference. So I have I just a like, question for you because yeah. you've been in the community a lot longer than I have. So you'll be able to talk to me and listeners about this online. The other day I saw someone asking, you know, the masses if they bolus before or after they eat. And I, did, I, I read that and I thought to myself, you can bolus. Like there's people that bolus after. And I think it was like an online poll, you know, you can click before <laughs> or after. Right. And I remember seeing that and think like, wait, people bolus after. And I think a lot of people did. Like you could see the results for it. And I was like really surprised because I had never, I had never once considered eating and then bolusing afterwards. And I yeah, didn't know I mean, that. Like, like is that, that something that people do? Um, I mean, maybe people do it, but it just seems like a really bad idea. Because then you're just going to be behind the curve the whole time. Yeah. If you look at, and I, I did this right when I got diagnosed. I look at like you know the dispersion or like glucose infusion statistics or whatever they whatever it's called i'm not a scientist so please just don't post it or hate mail when you send it to me directly <laughs> about this conversation but you know if you can look at the novolog chart and it's like you know i think at like an hour 45 minutes to two hours is when it's peaking and then you know three hours later it's still active and then by four hours later it's almost completely out of your system you know and so what is a uh, fiasp like do you, like do you know if it's sooner than that or yeah, it, it's definitely sooner than that. You'd have to look up the chart. I think it's like, you know, I couldn't tell you the numbers off the top of my head, but it's like if you look at the Novolog curve, it's similar to that, but like it hits you a little bit sooner. But um, actually what's interesting for running is, have you uh, have you any familiarity with Afreza, the inhaled insulin? You know, I was just talking to a guy online about that yesterday, 
And he says yeah. he, he like does it 15 minutes before and he has no issues with it. But yeah, it's, it's cool because it hits you like, uh, very, very quickly, like much quicker than liquid insulin could because you're inhaling it. So it goes straight to your bloodstream mm-hmm. and then it goes out of your system very quickly. And the, that second part is what's key for running. Cause like, let's say you want to have a big meal and then go for a run and then you inject a bunch of Novolog or Humalog that's going to be in your system for four hours. So when you start running it start and your insulin sensitivity goes up, then you're going to be fighting against that the whole time. Whereas a Freza, it like it hits you very quickly and then it goes out of your system very quickly. So you can have a hike up meal before a run, take some puffs of a Freza and then you don't have to deal with having it on board as much as you do with Novolog and Humalog. Something about inhaling insulin seems invasive to me. And maybe other people are like that. Were you like that when you first picked this thing up and were like, I don't know if I would say invasive thing you can do to something is inhale it. (laughs) (laughs) But inhaling it, like, um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem safe, like over the long term. I don't know why. And I'll tread carefully because I'm going to get hate mail about this too. But I agree with you. It just seems odd. Yeah. Just like. Uh, it seems odd, but again, I think for me, it's just like, I like to try different things and mix it up. Yeah. So I, I do too. Reza for me, it's just like, yeah, it's novel and unique. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think it's necessary for my diabetes management or anything like that, but it's, yeah, yeah. you know, well, it's just I cool to like, I try can't hate on it because I mean, mixing things up was, is what, how it, you know, is the way I found my current insulin regimen. So, Hey, yeah. if it's working for you and you are a listener of the show, please reach out to me because I'm really curious as to you know, your tips and tricks and how you utilize it. Um, especially with your training. So yeah, shout out me. And I had interrupted you like 10 minutes ago before we started ranting about different insulins, but uh-huh. so you ran your first marathon that went well. At what point did you decide, well, okay, now I'm a marathon runner and I'm just going to keep going. Um, pretty much immediately. <laughs> so uh, I, t- I had touched upon the fact that like signing up for races is what motivated me to like just run on a daily basis, um, and get out the door and just, I guess, be a runner. Like it started out with 5k. So I would do, a f- I would sign up for 5k and then I would know like, okay, I have to run every day this week so that I'm in shape enough to like complete this 5k and run it at whatever speed I want to run it at. But then I, I just, with the 5k distance, I found that Eventually, I realized, like, I don't have to train. I could not run, and I know I would still be able to complete this 5K. You know what I mean? Whereas with a marathon, it's it's a much more intimidating distance. And if you don't train for it, you're going to be, you know, you're yeah, not going to be having a pleasant You're going to blow up at mile 20, and you're going to have to walk for six miles. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. That just seemed like a nice distance where it's, like, something where it's intimidating enough that it, like, forces me to train. And so, after I ran the first one... I'd been doing a bunch of training for months leading up to it. And then you run the marathon, it's done. And then it's like, okay, well now what? You know what I mean? So like probably within a week after running LA, I like signed up for my next one. And then I found that I was signing up for like, I would spread them out like three to four months. Cause I, I was following like these free online training plans that were like three month or four month like marathon training plan. So what I would do is like, run the marathon. And then I'd be like, okay, well, I have this training plan that's four months. So I find another one that's like another four months out. And then, uh, and then I did it that way. So for everyone and listening, then, James isn't slow. Like I am. If you follow James on Strava, you know that he'll post like eight mile runs at like a seven forty pace 
He's like blazing. Um, I would just, <laughs> I'm pretty slow. No, you're really not. You know, I, I thought, I, you know, and no offense, but I thought like you were just a regular runner like me, but here I, I start following you on Strava and now I got to like step my game up, like run well, faster. So. You're making me look bad, you know, as the host of the show, but Hey, I can, I, I would disagree. So I think you're. Yeah, I think you're fast. And I think I was extremely I was an extremely slow marathon runner, like starting out, like just completing the marathon was my my goal pretty much every time. Yeah. And then after doing several of those, I was like, OK, I got to step up this goal, like beyond just completing the marathon. Yeah. But I found like straight up what happened is the first marathon I ever run was my ran was my fastest. And then every single one after that, I got slower and slower. I just kept with like the, the trend was going the opposite direction to how I wanted it to go. And then uh i think last year i was like okay so this time i'll actually you know i'll set myself a goal and i'll like try and run it for speed and then i signed up for training with cliff sherb who uh he's a type 1 diabetic athlete he was the second fastest type 1 diabetic ironman and he has kind of a coaching business tristar athletes mostly triathlon training um but yeah he helped me out with my running set me kind of a uh, he set up my training plan for me and um, helped me a lot with the diabetes management as well. Like I found with races, one of the things that got in the way was like my blood sugars. Like every single race I did at the beginning of the race, I would be crazy high, like 300s. I'd start, you know, start into the marathon, then I'd like dip crazy low. And then at that point, it's difficult to focus on speed and performance. Uh, and then training with Cliff, like he helped me figure out how to kind of stabilize my blood sugar during the race. So like I wasn't, you know, the main focus for me previously was like on diabetes and blood sugar management. And I was able to kind of put that aside and focus a little bit more on pacing myself and on my speed and running performance, which was, it, uh, made a huge difference for me. What is your current PR? Uh, 3.30 ish at St. George last year. Dang. <laughs> so it's, i want to run a four i have to run and i have to run a marathon in april um april 28th for nice. everyone listening keep me accountable i gotta run nashville marathon and nashville training has been going badly the past two weeks i don't know why but uh, my goal was just to run a four hour and yeah well, that was my goal too yeah for the, i did and the 330 so i'm counting on you john yeah i think let's, i can do it I, I think maybe i'll be I've just been in a rut lately and I think it happens to people that live like in areas where they don't have a lot of like people to run with. But yeah, um, yeah other than my wife, sometimes I got no one to run with. Um, and a lot of days, you know, she's training for a different distance. So she doesn't always, you know, get out the door on the same as many, you know, as many days as I do. And so I find myself running a lot and because I run alone a lot, I end up finding myself running slow. And so like yeah. last week, I think I did an 18 miler planned on running it at marathon pace and yeah. finished like, a minute and a half on average slower than I wanted to. <laughs> it's, uh, it is what it is, but, uh, yeah. So well, this will only be my second, point. this will only be my second marathon though. So, Oh, okay. What was your, when was your first? Well, my what first was, was actually an ultra. It was a 50 K. Oh, I basically damn. walked the second half of it because it was, yeah. it was through like the mountains of, or I say mountains, but the hills of Northern Alabama. And okay. I want to say I did it like nine hours, something like that. <laughs> It, wow. Uh, but it was, it was all trail and it was, you know, yeah. switchbacks and crossing creeks and running through the mud. And it was fun, especially I since I, I prefer, oh, I, I hate running on the roads. Trails are like my passion. Yeah. And so well, 
that was actually my thing too. Like when I was running my slow marathons, I was really into trail running and I do like as much of my training as I could on the trails. And it would mean that I was running like slow, long, like very long periods of time, very slowly. Mm-hmm. And then but you, you get probably felt more comfortable about it. You probably felt like way more confident about yourself going into your training. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but yeah. So like, when you when you train slow you're gonna you know you run how you train so like so my marathons were slow because my training was slow so i found that for saint george when i was training for speed i did all my training runs on the road so i could control the pace a lot more Mm -hmm. and that helped too but then you know then it means you're doing a lot more road running what do you eat what do you eat when you're running uh i eat it depends on the length of the run but um lately what i've been doing is i'll bring gels for i kind of think of my fueling for long runs is kind of analogous to how with insulin you have long acting and then short acting. Mm-hmm. So I'll usually try and have some long acting substrate carbohydrate. So that for the, for me, that used to be a cliff bar before I ran. Now what I do is I eat these generation. You can bars. You had a generation. You can mm-hmm. actually, I want to say Craig recommended them based on your success with them. And so yeah, I think that was one of the first days, like I wrote your name down on my peop, on my <laughs> list of people to interview. I'm like, I got to have him on the show. <laughs> and so yeah, I, I looked into them at that point and I think like something about like the way they're made makes them really good for it. Right. Yeah. It's basically cornstarch. Like you're just eating cornstarch, but like, I think it metabolizes in your intestines instead of your stomach or something like that. But basically it, um, it gives, it, it hits you over a longer period of time. It doesn't spike you as much. Like for me, if I have a gel or like some kind of quick acting sugar, like let's say glucose taps, my blood sugar would spike up very quickly and very high and then come right back down. So like if I'm trying, if I'm running, let's say I'm running a marathon and I'm just using gels for fueling, I'll have to eat so many gels sometimes that like, it just makes me sick, you know, cause my blood sugar will go up and then right back down, up and right back down. Whereas with the generation you can, or with any other like kind of longer acting carb, it, it's a lot more kind of stable and like it keeps my blood sugar up over a period of time. So I'm not like worrying about trying to like choke down as much sugar as I can. So yeah. So with a longer run, what I'll do is I'll eat one of those generation you can bars, bring along some gels and then like 45 minutes or an hour in, I'll have a gel or if my blood sugar is dropping, I might have one. And then, yeah, that's kind of my, my fueling. What kind of gels? I'll eat like whatever kind of gel. Like I mostly eat the uh, goo just because they have them everywhere. Yeah. And then I, I briefly, they have these like chia seed ones that I tried for a while mm-hmm. that were okay. But on the gels, I don't really have a preference. It's just whatever, whatever I find at the store, I guess. Yeah. So I've used goo and spring. Those are kind of my go-to. Um, yeah. I know. I like the goose. I like that. the goose and, but they tend to spike me a little bit more than the springs. I, I honestly, I think I could have as many of the spring gels as I want, and I don't think it would move me much other than just kind of energize me. But Yeah, maybe I should try that. See, for me, I like the fact that the goo spikes spikes you because that's kind of the reason that I'm using those. You know what I mean? Yeah. I already have like yeah, it's like, yeah, maintenance. Uh, so yeah. for me, I, I like that it, it burns kind of slowly as well, kind of like you were talking about because it's got like peanut butter and some other slow-acting yeah. burns in there. But for fast acting, I just carry one of those like Walgreens glucose gels on me when I run. And oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So for April, you know, I, I, I might not have a lot on me, but I know that, Hey, if I feel low, I'm just going to bust this out and eat it. I'm not going to think twice about it. Oh, question for you. So what I used to do when I was running is like I had mentioned earlier, like my blood sugar was my main focus. So 
I, I didn't really think about fueling in terms of the way that runner, non-diabetic runners think of it as, you know, like providing you with energy. For me, it was more like preventing lows or keeping myself from going low. So like I would just eat gels like when my blood sugar was going down or when I was going low. And one of the things I started to try to do when I was running faster is like actually think about fueling and take my blood sugar might be perfect and I might still have a gel because I, you know, wanted to have that energy and fuel on board. Yeah. yeah you still need calories. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No one can, no one can go through that many, you know, um, glycogen reserves without having to eat like you're going to eat if you need to get a 26.2. So, yeah. So what in the, in the past I would be like, I wouldn't want to mess up like a perfect blood sugar line, but then yeah. I found, okay, maybe I should just, to, you know, so that, uh, I have the energy to sustain like a nice, good paced run over a long period of time. Yeah. I've had multiple people talk about that, um, you know, over the past few months. And for me, I think it's about like 130 calories an hour. And so, yeah, regardless of being a diabetic, you're still going to need nutrition, you know? So I, yeah. I want to say the recommendation is between 150 and 200. I, I think I can get away with about 130 to 150. So I, I think I stay on that low side also because, you know, yeah. you'll get, for me, I'll get GI issues if I start eating a lot. And so I'll be like, gargling around all this sugar and food in my stomach so i try and avoid that but yeah yeah that makes sense what is your next race uh actually you should come and do this too the wildfire triathlon in uh in may in central california i want to say the type one run account posted something about that recently we did and beyond type one did too we have a lot of people coming like emma is coming from london all the way from london for this what? and we have yeah wait, we a ton wait of what's the date again may it's a weekend i think it's may 4th through 6th off the top of my head yeah oh i'm gonna try and make it you should definitely try and make it yeah they call it the woodstock of triathlons there's uh camping you don't have to camp but mm -hmm. there's music fest it's a festival atmosphere and then there's like all these different options so there are, there are triathlon options or you can do a relay so you could just do one leg of a triathlon or you, you could just do a 5K or a 10K or a 10-mile trail run, or they have stand-up paddleboarding. So, like, <laughs> even if somebody can't swim or doesn't want to do a triathlon, like, there's an option for anyone, basically. Yeah, so I did triathlon in college. That was kind of, like, my hobby. And so uh, so this is on my list of things I have to ask um, James Mansfield. So type one run. Craig talked to us a lot about the story of meeting you and um, – the relay and getting, you know, the message out to more people through type one run about, you know, the magic of running with other type ones. Yeah. How was that experience for you? And what do you think Craig left out when he talked about the founding of type one run? He puts it all on you. So I think you're his hero <laughs> and you're probably my hero too, but you know, I don't know. where I is, where's the real magic yeah. of type one run and, and what does it mean to you? And what have you experienced with it since you guys started it up? I mean, for me, type one run just goes into my whole experience of the diabetes community because for, you know, for 10 years, I didn't know any other type ones. And, uh, I met Craig through my endocrinologist's office. We were in the same clinical trial together and I was training for that first marathon of mine for LA marathon. And Craig was doing the same race. And I had been looking for a type one running group for a while, especially, you know, I told you about my experience with roadrunners running with non-diabetics and it just seemed like it would be so nice to run with other type ones who know, you know, who know the issues and you just don't have to explain things. But, you know, 
at the time, I didn't. You, there were no type one running groups that I could see. There had been insulin dependence, but they ha- they kind of uh, closed up shop several years ago. So yeah. I was why, super stoked to meet Craig. Sorry, why do you think they did that? Uh, I don't know the specifics. I think there was some drama, and you know, maybe they grew too fast or for yeah. whatever reason. But a lot of those people from insulin dependence who were active in the community are still around and still active. And so they're still there. It just was a matter of finding them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of those people are involved with type one run now, but, but yeah, so I met Craig, we had like, we created this local running group. Craig had set up the logo and the website and we, he, he is super involved in the LA diabetes community. Like he's a huge pillar of the, of the diabetes community here. And so through him, I met a ton of other type one diabetics and it really kind of transformed my diabetes management and made things a lot easier. And so, yeah, we, we ran LA marathon and then things were kind of quiet on the type one run front. Like we would occasionally run together, like we'd go on these runs in Griffith park and nobody would show up. And then we signed up for the, the Ragnar relay and we, we put together a team of 12 diabetics to run the 200 miles, which Craig probably talked about quite a bit. Yeah. But that was an incredible experience. You know, like there were diabetics that came from across the country and it felt like, you know, you sit in the van with these people and within two minutes, it feels like you're, you know, kind of best friends, like you instantly click. And so there was something about that that was just, you know, really special. And so that really energized us. And we decided like, Hey, we should try and make this into something. And, spread this and share this experience with, with other people. So I think that was kind of the inception for us. And, you know, the difference that it made in our lives is what uh, inspired us to kind of keep pushing and keep going. And yeah, I mean, I'm super excited about how it's turned out. Like, I think clearly there was a, there's a demand for like people who are type one, meeting other type ones, getting active together, like sharing experiences. And so it's it's super rewarding to be able to provide kind of a platform that people are able to use to do that. What does it mean for you when you see someone on the couch to 5k program post about, you know, an incredible run they had or the first run they've had since they've been type one or the first runs they've had since they were a kid and they've been type one their whole life. And it, it almost seems like they're reaching out directly to you, you know, you and Craig and saying, thank you for hosting yeah. this. Like, what does that mean to you? And, you know, if you could yeah. say something, all those people out there that are on the five in the couch to 5k program, what could you say to them? I mean, it's amazing. It's super moving and super inspiring. And I think I'm going to probably repeat something that Craig said, which is that I think it's a lot more, uh, inspiring and motivating to see somebody run their first 5k or accomplish something like that. Like go from doing nothing to running three miles or running five miles versus, somebody like me who's already run eight marathons. If I go out and do another marathon or if I do one a little bit quicker, like that's not as big of an accomplishment as somebody getting up and doing their first 5k and kind of making that big life transition. So it's, it's personally like super inspiring and motivating for me to see, see everyone doing whatever it is they want to do. I think Craig said that on, I'm a podcast nerd. So, um, if you have any questions about podcasts, feel free to shoot a message. But <laughs> I think Craig said that on the bravest broadcast with Craig Casper, um, yeah. the other Craig that, yeah, he felt like, you know, it is harder to take that first step than the 900. Do you know what I mean? So, or the 9,000th, yeah. whatever it is, but 
And I absolutely agree. I think getting started, you know, if you are literally on the couch, that might be the hardest part is getting up and saying, I'm going to go, yeah. run, you know, and doing yeah. it. That's probably the hardest yeah. part. It, it definitely is. And then it makes a huge difference. Like, I don't know, there's just something about running and diabetes that to me just feels like it naturally goes together. And there's something about both physiologically and psychologically about running that I feel like benefits you as a type one diabetic. I mean, as for anyone, but like, especially when you're dealing with this chronic disease, that's like, you know, it's a day in day out struggle. And just, I don't know, something about running, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it like, just seems to click for me that it, it goes together and it kind of makes things easier. And type one diabetes in itself almost like helps motivate me to be more athletic and to run more and accomplish some of those other goals that maybe I wouldn't have done otherwise. Would you go as far to say you're fitter now that you're a diabetic? <laughs> uh, 100%. Yeah, definitely. I've had multiple people say that on the show. I, I feel like as a whole, like type one diabetics are probably like generally more healthy than the general population. Yeah. We're going to get, we're going to get hate mail for that statement, but yeah, I would agree with that. I'll put my leg out for that statement. <laughs> I mean, that's completely anecdotal and I don't have like a scientific study to back that up, but uh, like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. it seems that way. And you, I think there's something about, you know, having a chronic disease and like, and being fit, like it helps in a way counteract like some of the negative aspects of it, but it also, it's empowering and it helps you feel like you're kind of regaining control in a way. And so yeah you know, I think how, you know how some people have words that like irk them for yeah. i I'm, i know there was a girl in um in high school she couldn't stand the word cheese or the <laughs> word moist and there's people out there that hate those two words and yeah. they, they've probably already turned off this episode but um hopefully they're back now and i won't say the word moist again <laughs> um, <laughs> say it one more time <laughs> and so for me it's it, it this wasn't until i was diagnosed but the word chronic for some reason bothers me oh. chronic and the word illness bothers me. And I think there's, and you know, all the power to them. I think there's some people that associate with those two words and like, you know, maybe yeah. their, maybe their Instagram handles that, or, you know, maybe they use it a lot in posts, but I try and avoid the words illness or chronic when I talk about diabetes. Cause it's like, okay, you know, Hey, type one is this thing that I deal with, but if I didn't tell you, and now since I'm only on injections, if I was naked, you know, you would never know, that I'm not just a regular old 28 year old guy who likes to run. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so actually I try I to avoid the words sick or chronic, you know, like even if I was at 400, I might say to myself like, no, I'm not sick. You know, my blood sugar is just high. Now I give myself an injection and I go for a walk, you know? So it's like, am I sick yeah. or am I just, this a regular guy with type one? You know, I, that's uh, true. Yeah. No, that's I think very about, true. do you have words that irk you or, Am I the only yeah, I was just saying, yeah, my word is diabetes. Like for some reason I just hate the word diabetes. Oh, and that's so now so now you hate the name of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh that's why I like beyond type one, you know, like there's no diabetes in the name. Type one run, no diabetes. So it might be time to rename that podcast, John. Oh man. I'm like you in the sense that I really wish type one back whenever it was founded was named something different. And diabetes, you know, and yeah. like, you know, I, I wish we could call it like falafel or you know, just <laughs> something, just something completely new. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about it too, is like, um, you know, there's type one and type two and I, I almost feel like they're two different diseases, you know what I mean? And calling them type one and type two just makes it super confusing. It does. Yeah. I'm, I'm new to diabetes. So 
I wasn't the best at understanding the difference until last year, but yeah. And I don't blame people for not knowing the difference because no. it, it's really society's fault for naming it type one and type two. Yeah. Um, I've even met nurses and, um, I won't say any names, but you know, especially like in like appointments that I've been to where sometimes I feel myself explaining to them the difference between type one and type two. And, you know, there's all, all nurses are specialized, you know, and they have, you know, their lane that they stay in, but um, sometimes it is odd, you know, getting questions even from nurses about the difference between type one and type two. So. Yeah, no, I know. And in doctors too, I've had plenty of doctors that don't, you know, but don't understand it. So. Yeah. And they've all turned off this episode. Sorry guys, but we love you. <laughs> we love you. Thank you for everything you do, but we understand that it's confusing and, um, yeah. no shame, no shame in not understanding. And I'm one of the people that will gladly educate people and I don't scold them or make them feel weird. Um, yeah. so if you could talk to me a little bit about, cause I have a lot of questions about your interactions with beyond type one, now that you guys are a core program and what has it been like working with those guys and getting to grow type one into a larger organization? Yeah, they've been great. I mean, you know, we're we're just volunteers, obviously, like doing this outside of our, in our free time. But they've been beyond type one have been great. Like we have, you know, at least like weekly phone calls and kind of close communication with them. So we, you know, beyond type one itself is a very small team of people. And so we know all of them and we, we check in with each other regularly. And it's like, the the biggest thing, of course, is, you know, they have like 1.5 million followers. And so we're able to reach a lot more people like we basically with type one run, we set up a framework and a structure within which people can create their own chapters and create their own network. And then beyond type one allowed us to kind of amplify that and fill it with people. Mm-hmm. So it's been super helpful in terms of just finding other people who, who want to run together and meet other type one runners. And, um, just like logistically too, like we've, you know, we were sending out shirts and welcome kits to chapter leaders and things like that. And, you know, just doing that on our own time, it, uh, especially as we've grown is challenging. And so having an organization like beyond type one that can help with some of that stuff has been super helpful. Um, but yeah, no, it's been awesome. We've been, uh, super excited about it. And I think, by partnering with Beyond Type 1, we've been able to grow a lot more than we would have done otherwise. And it's made probably going to make us a lot more resilient so that, you know, we can kind of keep growing and keep doing what, we do, what we're doing and, and reach more people over time. Every time I see a new chapter open for Type 1 Run, I get excited. I know, me too. Yeah, because yeah, I just feel like, you know, it's reaching so many more people. How will, like, how will James know when Type 1 Run has been successful? I think it's, you know, it's been successful from day one. Like the day that I met Craig, it was successful because it's just about people meeting other people, you know, and having a good time. So like if, you know, if it means that one person meets another type one diabetic and it makes an impact in their life, then as far as I'm concerned, it's been successful and it can only just, it can only improve from there. It can't go, you know, there's only one direction it can go. So, yeah. So no new expectations, no, you know, growth minimums or you know, no targets on the wall that you and Craig are looking to hit. I think, no, I don't know about targets and things like that, but for me, it's like, how do we maintain the momentum and keep the excitement up? Cause I think a lot of people are excited about starting a chapter and I, I'm, I just worry that, you know, somebody starts a chapter and then similar to you, they find like, Oh, I'm not finding anyone in my area. Like this is a challenge. It's, and you know, and they struggle. So 
I think for us, it's how do we keep the momentum, keep the energy up and keep, uh, keep pushing forward and keep finding new people and keep filling these groups. And that's another thing that Beyond Type 1 has been great about too, which, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned the, well, I guess you're moving anyway, but they can filter their, like filter their newsletter and find people in your area and send out like targeted location, uh, sort of blasts to be like, Hey, there's this guy in Southern Alabama looking for type one runners. And so they're, they're very helpful about kind of being proactive in, in that way as well. So like, you know, one of the things that Craig and I want to do is like help people who are struggling to find other type one diabetics in their area. You know, that's one of the biggest challenges. Like you decide you want to start a group. Well, now you need to like find the people to, to fill it. And so it, it's great to have a bigger network to be able to do that. It's like, we're trying to avoid diabetic burnout on a global scale. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, it's like all the meta level diabetes burnout. Yeah, and, and oh, I meant to ask you earlier. So, you had said that you had suffered from diabetic burnout before, and I think that's one of my like underlying, like at the back of my mind, fears about diabetes. You know, yeah, like that one day, especially now that I'm off the Dexcom and the pump, like maybe one day I'll just stop checking my blood sugar. You know, like how does how can I avoid diabetic burnout? Like, what would be your advice to me? who I think is you, in control now, but is scared that one day maybe I'll flip a switch and not care anymore. You know, you should be giving advice to me, not the other way around. <laughs> like I did everything wrong and you're doing everything right. Like from diagnosis, you've been getting into the community. Like I'm crazy impressed that like you live in Southern Alabama, you've only met one other type one diabetic in person, but you've built this podcast, this whole like online following you've spoken to diabetics around the world. Like, you're super part of the community, even though there isn't necessarily like a local community for you. And I think like, that's the biggest thing is just meeting other type ones and seeing other people living with this disease and succeeding with this disease. And then it's just a super personal thing too. Like I think some people are just more prone to get burned out with everything than, than others. And from what I've seen from you, like I wouldn't be concerned about you getting burned out. You seem to have like crazy high energy, like <laughs> <laughs> you have everything on lock. Like, yeah. So it's good to uh, hear actually. How did you know, how did you know that you were at burnout? Like what was your determining factor for like, Ooh, I'm over this. So I don't know if I used to call it burnout, but like, uh, now I sort of recognize it as that. And it mm -hmm. happens to me like periodically, like I just get tired of it. Like just the day in day out, like, I find that when I'm focused, when I'm looking at my Dexcom every four seconds and paying attention to every carbohydrate and like putting a lot of energy into my diabetes, I'm extremely successful in my control. Like I have very tight control, but then that just like eventually it wears you out. Like there's a lot of other things that I want to be doing in life. And so, you know, sometimes my focus gets drawn away and then I, you know, if I'm not paying so much attention to my blood sugar, I can end up on that roller coaster of going high and low and high and low and then sometimes that gets frustrating and then, you know, then it's kind of a, a death spiral into burnout. And I find for me, the way to get out of that death spiral is a from knowing other type one diabetics and B just changing things up and like trying something new so that you can, I can kind of like regain my focus, uh, like check in with myself and kind of realign myself, I guess, to it. It's kind of a spectrum too, you know, it's not like, you know, burnout might not be completely apocalyptic. Like it could just be, you know, even when like you have feeling. great control, 
even when you have great control and like you have everything on lock, like sometimes just, uh, you know, there's something in the air and like it goes wrong. So like you might do the exact same thing, the exact same way that you've done a hundred times. But for some reason this day you go crazy high and you can't get the high back down or you go, or you keep having lows and that can be frustrating. And that might be sort of like, uh, a minor level diabetes burnout where you're like frustrated by it, but it's not like throwing a huge wrench into things and it's easier to overcome. Yeah. If that's the case, then I might've had a mini diabetic burnout when I, right before I came off the pump. Cause it was like, oh, it was days yeah. before my birthday and I was having a lot of those issues. And I've been having issues like that for a while, like just unforeseen highs, unexplained highs and just stubborn ones that wouldn't come down. And I felt like, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm walking around all day with this leash and it's not even doing like what I want it to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, and no, definitely. Yeah. I will say since I've been off the pump, I haven't had one unexplained high. Like, you know, you have highs, but like you can, yeah. you can back it. You can be like, oh, well, I did not count the carbs on that yeah. pizza, right? <laughs> you know, but <laughs> for my pump, I was just having just for no reason. You know what I mean? I, I know diabetes does that some days, you know, yeah. it just decides that it's going to be a jerk. But since I've been on MDI, I haven't had, you know, any unforeseen issues and, I've had way less stubborn, um, stubborn highs. Yeah. I think there's, um, there are so many variables, you know, and I think being on shots, a lot of the variables involved with the stubborn highs that can be caused by pumps are taken out of the equation, like air bubbles in your tubing or, um, you know, the site being in too long or like, yeah. Absorption rates. Yeah. yeah. Like did your insulin get too hot the other day when you were sunbathing? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, to me, it's like a simplicity thing. You know what I mean? It's way less to worry about and to stress about. You know, I'm one of the people who, if I had a perfect room and it was organized and furniture perfectly, there would be like one piece of furniture and a chair and a TV. And there wouldn't be like all these crazy stuff. You know, there wouldn't be like stuff all over the walls. I've literally moved into, I've moved into houses before and didn't hang anything up on the walls because it wow. was too that's too cluttered. You're like you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and so it sounds like an interrogation room. Like I just imagine you bringing like bringing a friend or uh, somebody over there and be like, uh, here's my table and chair and <laughs> knocking on the walls. <laughs> and I've done that. And sometimes that's because I know I'm going to move again in eight months. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I'm not going to hang anything up. But yeah, yeah, I'm just a minimalist type person. I don't like to have like a lot of stuff and things that I got to worry about. And I think yeah. that was one thing, the pump and the Dexcom bothered, like it irked me a little bit having to constantly keep up with these things. Yeah. And oh, gosh, like I want to lay down and all of a sudden now I bumped it and now I'm uncomfortable or I yeah. want to turn over, but I can't turn over that way. So I'm going to roll this way, but I'm not comfortable yeah. on this side. So now I got to roll all the way around so I don't hit my pump site. <laughs> yeah. Then it gets tight. The tubing gets tight and not. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. 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 But all the stuff like, um, yeah, like bringing all your infusion sets and reservoirs and like your step <laughs> pump and like all the rest of it. It's like a whole extra suitcase right there. Yeah. That, yeah. This is a perfect segue into the second to last section of the show before I'll let you go. And, and I appreciate your time is that I wanted to talk about your transition. So for everyone who doesn't know James Mansfield, you've been blessed by his presence for the past hour <laughs> and 22 minutes, but <laughs> everyone's already, he, uh, <laughs> An incredible runner, a 330 marathoner, the co-founder of Type 1 Run, um, one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet, and is about to transition from a pump to MDI. 
um, to kind of play his luck on some new insulins. Right. And so talk to me about if you could list it. And I know this is going to be hard because if you asked me, I would have a list that is inintelligibly long one, two, maybe three things that are like the top reasons you want to switch from your pump to your MDI. And then kind of what do you think will be like the determining factors for whether or not you go back on your pump? Okay. Um, yeah. So the reason I want to switch is just to try something new. It's probably the biggest thing. Yeah. And then, uh, so when I'm running, I don't have a pump like bouncing around on me. Yes. It's incredible. Yeah. And then also like I've heard anecdotally that it can be easier to control your blood sugar with the long acting basal as opposed to using a pump. So I'm super curious to try that out. But I think the, the end of the day, the biggest thing is just to like try something new and, and see how it works. So those are all perfect reasons. And not that there's an unperfect reason, but I think those are reasons that resonate with me a lot. And actually it was my interview with Emma Collins that started my thought. You know, it took me a month and a half, two months to get to the point where I actually did it. But I remember interviewing Emma and thinking like, ah, oh, man, she's so successful on her slow acting insulin and she loves it, you know, like, yeah. And she even said, I think at one point in her interview, like she just thought that it, it felt like it was easier to manage than constantly having to juggle this fact fast acting insulin in your system, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. More, maybe more predictable, more, um, you know, manageable for running for runners. Um, advice you'd have to someone who has been a type one for a while and wants to start running or maybe has been a runner their whole life and just got diagnosed with type one. Uh, my advice would be not to be intimidated by it and just to get out and do it. And like, if you're struggling, just keep doing it and like, just see that as a challenge to overcome. Where can people follow you? Where's the best place to track James's training and running? I know I stalk you on Strava probably biweekly, but, um, yeah, where's, um, the best place to keep up with James? Yeah. I mean, I'm on Strava, but I would say everybody should follow type one run Mm -hmm. and, there's a type one run Strava club too, which I'm in. So yep. I follow that. So here we are, you've been on off the pump and you've been on pins for four or five days now. Initial impression. What do you think? I think, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. So, uh, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of pros and cons. So like, I really like not being attached to something. And it feels like going out for a run and not being hooked up, like I'm still getting used to it because I've been used to being hooked up to a pump like 24-7 for the last 10 years. So like there's a lot of things I don't think about where it's like like just sleeping in bed and not being tangled up or like yes. getting changed and not having my pump dangling off yes. or going for a run not being attached or going through the airport and not doing the bomb residue test. Uh all those things like that I didn't really think about are super awesome. And there's just something about being on shots that like almost feels more natural and simple to me. Like, uh, yeah. So I like those aspects of it, but I do Ooh, miss certain things. About- yeah. So when I was on the pump, the biggest thing is that I had a DIY closed loop system, meaning that, uh, I had a system that my pump would adjust automatically based on my blood sugar. So at times, like when I'm sleeping, if my blood sugar was drifting up, my closed loop would bring it back down. Or likewise, if I was going low, my closed loop would bring it back up. And so being on shots, obviously, I don't have that. And so like, if I go to bed, and I'm not in range, then I'm pretty much going to wake up and not be in range. 
that's probably the biggest thing. And then also like the way I manage my diabetes, I'm super like proactive or micromanagey about it. Like yeah. on the pump, I bolus like 500 times a day. Mm-hmm. Like if I saw myself drifting up, I'd take a unit here or a unit there. And like, yeah, I would use the temp basal feature all the time. Like if I was drifting down, I'd temp basal low or, or turn my temp basal down to prevent a low, that kind of thing. And I can't do that on shots. And I'll go through like, 10 or 15 syringes a day, just like bolusing a lot. Um, So there's that. So I think, yeah, there's pros and cons to it. And I haven't quite decided which I like best yet. I think for me, when, if, if slash when the Omnipod has the closed loop system hooked up with it, because the Omnipod is tubeless, I think that would be a good compromise where you don't get tangled up and stuff, but you still have the closed loop. Um, do you think that it would be better if you were on pins? Like, do you think it would be easier for you if you were on pins as opposed to having to, you know, draw your insulin and inject it with a, with a syringe? Yeah. So, well, that's one of the things. So I'm on syringes because I had some insurance snafus and I was taking this yeah. trip and I had to get it r- rushed the vial. So I'm still planning on trying the pens, but, um, I think that would make it a lot easier because you could just take a few of those, like handful of those pen needles takes up way less space than a ton of syringes. Yeah. So it seems like that would be way more convenient. Uh, so I'm definitely planning on giving it like a few weeks and seeing seeing how it goes. The other thing is like I'm used to having pretty good tight blood sugar control and there's been an adjustment period for me going on shots. So like I'm still figuring out the basal rates, still kind of figuring everything out. So like I'm doing pretty good, I think, but I'm definitely not in as tight of control as I was on the pump. But that being said, it's only been like two days. So you yeah, know, I feel like it takes a bit more time to figure some of that stuff out. So I think that I talked to you like the next night and you had been kind of high. So like the first night you took your long acting and you woke up the next morning and you were high. Since that night, yeah. have you like slowly increased your basal rate for your Trishiba? <laughs> so, well, yeah, what I did the first night, I took 20 units of Trishiba, which is like my that's what my total daily dose in the pump would be. And I drifted up gradually over the course of the night from like whatever it was, 100 something to 200. So the next day I upped my basal to 23 units, which is what I, I took that from my closed loop, which does the temp basal adjustments, will tell me the total basal, including the temp basal adjustments, if that makes sense. And that came out to be like 23 units. So I figured that was a good number. And 23 units, then I was struggling with lows a lot. Mm-hmm. So then I dialed it back down and I'm thinking maybe the first night, uh, maybe it wasn't that the basal was too low. It was more, you know, I wonder if it takes a couple of days for the, for the basal to like build up in your system. If that makes sense. I'm not a doctor, so I'm just conjecturing. Yeah. I don't actually, I I thought about that too, because it would, it would really take a full 24 hour cycle for you to be on like a complete program as opposed to, you know, like maybe the incremental gap between coming off short acting and trying to go on long acting. And then I don't know, maybe it was yeah. there 40 minutes where you weren't necessarily covered. You know what I mean? Who knows? Yeah. So like last night I went back down to the 20 units again. And I think that like, that was pretty good today. I mean, I had some pretty straight lines and some pretty good blood sugars. Like right now, well, I guess I'm drifting up a bit. I'm 131 right now, drifting up. But that's because I, I finished a run and ate a quest bar at the end of the run because I was a little bit low yeah. and didn't didn't pull us to cover it. So it would make sense that I'm drifting. But 
Do you feel that you're hesitant to eat now because you feel like you don't have access to insulin constantly? Like, do yeah, you have to, do you have to like, second guess? Um, it's not that I'm hesitant to eat, but it is kind of a hassle. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I have to wait to bolus. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. With a pump, if I'm walking on the street, like I could eat something while I'm walking, like pull out a pump in the other hand and like bolus. But now I feel like I'd rather get to where I'm going and then bust out the syringes in the vial. Mm-hmm. So then I feel like I have to wait to eat or or at least wait to bolus for it, yeah. which is and it affects like your pre-bolus time. Yeah. yeah. So there's that. Um, yeah. That I will say since I've come off the pump, that's been a downside too. Is that I. I'm either pre-bolsing way earlier than I would normally, or I'm pre-bolsing maybe a little later than I'd like to. Talk to me about anxiety about around the pump. Do you, before you came off the pump, did you ever feel like maybe you had a healthy or borderline unhealthy relationship with your pump in terms of like stress and anxiety and not yeah, worry, I, but you, you know what I mean? Like, I think we're all naturally thinking throughout the day, like, oh, I wonder what my blood sugar is. Check. Oh, I wonder if I covered that meal perfectly. Check. You know? And so has that gone down at all? Like, do you think maybe that's incrementally better by any means on pens as opposed to having that complete control? Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because definitely, like, that is one of the pros to being on shots or on pens for Mm -hmm. sure. Like, the simplicity of it. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily on paper think it would make that much difference, but like for some reason, I just feel way less stressed. Like the pump just has so many options and I'm always like messing around with the temp basils and then you've got like all these different settings and things and you're always looking at uh, all these numbers and variables. Whereas with shots, it's just like way, way more simple. Yeah. It's like, hey, your your basil is in there and now you could strip down naked if you want and you could run down the street. Right. It's the ultimate level of freedom. Right. Not that I can so do like, streaking, on, but <laughs> on my run today, normally I'd have my pump hooked to me, so like my, my pump would be bouncing up and down, and then the whole time I'd be like looking at my Dexcom, like, am I going up? I'll change my temp basal. Am I going down? I'll change my temp basal. I'm like changing my temp basal constantly on the run. Whereas like when you have long acting insulin in you, you can't change your temp. You can't yeah. change your basal. It's just set. You're stuck. So it's more just you just get on with it, and if you go low, like you know, have a gel and deal with it. And yeah. Yeah, it seems way more simple. It's funny you mentioned that because I I thought you were going – I thought you were going to say something else. What I noticed is right when I did – I came off the pump in the Dexcom almost at the same time within the first same week. But my pre-run anxiety is so much lower now. I had built up like this fear of starting a run. Not fear but like anxiety around starting runs because I just hated the process of getting to my run because I would – you know, I would go to wherever I'm going to run, you know, I drive there and then, you know, I take my pump off. I get all my stuff ready to go. I put on my flip belt, you know, I take off my shirt, the pants that I had on, whatever I'm ready to run in now. And then I reconnect my pump, you know, I shove it into my flip belt and make sure it's connected. Right. It's not snagged on anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then like you halfway into my run, I'm wanting to like maybe move it or check it or change my basal rate. And it's like the anxiety now is so much lower. Because I put on shoes, I put on shorts and a shirt and I go run, you know, it's like, yeah, I feel like I have all these accessories that I have to have on me. And for me, it's one step farther too. Cause now I'm not worrying about my phone. I'm not checking my phone four times before I step off. You know what I mean? I'm, I might check my blood sugar once and then I just, I have the confidence to know 
maybe the dumb faith to know that hey it's just gonna work out you know yeah so i don't i don't go quite that far yet like i still use the dexcom but yeah and i don't i don't i'm not saying you should come off the deck i think the dex is incredible <laughs> I, I at times i really really miss it like uh you're right though like all that stuff besides the pump like for i know not, everybody has their own way of doing it but for me i would wear a camelback and then like clip the pump to that and then yep. You know, then the Camelback would be what I would use to put my like Dexcom receiver or phone plus gels plus like, you know, the pump and his uh, spare uh, syringe or, or whatever. Yeah, and then like my run today, I just, <laughs> yeah, just all this stuff that you don't need bouncing around like the thing like sweaty, sweaty on your back and stuff like that. Whereas today I just put two syringes of no vial in my pocket just in case I went high. I didn't even know it was there. Like I forgot that it was even in my pocket mm -hmm. and then two gels and that was it. So you ran like, with a vial and gels. Yeah. Since you've been on, um, Toshiba, have you gone high during a workout once? You know, I've been kind of remarkably stable. It's hard to know because I've only, I think I've only done three or four workouts so mm -hmm. far since I've been on Toshiba. The first two, uh, I wasn't high. I, I was just like kind of stable, like slightly higher than I normally am. Like yeah. one run, I think I was like 130, one run, I was like 160-ish, but like stayed roughly in that, in that region, like for the duration of the workout. Mm -hmm. It's not like I suddenly spiked or anything like that. My run today, it was like an hour and change run in Manhattan. And I did like, I had to be, to be fair, I had a lot of like fast acting insulin on board from lunch. But like the first mile, I plummeted like immediately. In less than a mile, I was like forty something high blood sugar. Yeah. Uh, Did you stop. So, what's that? Did you stop? Yeah, I had. I kind of. I was gonna keep running. I had a gel, and I kept running, and it just kept going down. So I just, I stopped and walked for a while. And at first, I was like, "Man, this is just a complete disaster." But then I decided, like, I'll just run for longer and then it'll like cancel out the fact that the beginning of the run was kind of ruined by the low and it worked out because the rest of the run I was pretty I was still like slightly low like around 70 ish but like pretty much stable for like a whole hour after that so mm -hmm. that was pretty cool and like no temp base or anything it's just you yeah. know with the traceba and you know the two gels that I had had to correct the initial low I think probably like I was probably a little bit on the low side and I probably should have just had a third gel but I was worried to do that because i didn't want to spike yeah it's so it's funny to me that you knowing what you know you took a vial and a syringe with you and i i think that's awesome because it's safe but it i think i reflect on myself and i think i wouldn't do that because i don't know i can't imagine that i would ever get so high on a run that i would actually do something about it like yeah it would make me feel comfortable knowing that it's there but i can't yeah. envision a scenario like even if i hit you know, 250. I probably wouldn't. Oh, really? In the middle of the run. Not in the middle of the run. Like, I wouldn't, I would never pull out of a pen in the middle of the run at 250 unless I thought that it wasn't going to come down. Unless, like, I thought, like, okay, something's wrong. Like, my liver is failing and it's for some reason dumping a bunch of sugar into my, I don't even think that's what a liver does when it fails. But <laughs> see, that's interesting because I do, like, especially on the pump, like, I will fairly consistently, like, bolus if i feel like i need to uh -huh. like for example i think a gel a gel will bring my blood sugar up but if i don't bolus anything for the gel i think it brings up my blood sugar too much 
So like I'll take like a small bolus for it. So what's the overall thought? Like, are you right now, if you had to make a decision whether or not, okay. So let's say right now I said you either have to tomorrow stay on pins for the rest of the year or go back to the pump for the rest of the year. What would you decide? You know, it's cool. Like the one nice thing about traveling is that I don't have the option to go back on the pump like, yeah. if I wanted to, cause I didn't yeah. bring it with me. Um, but I feel like I don't, I don't give up on things too easily. So if you were to like make me tell you one or the other, I would stay on shots for the rest of the year. Cause I feel like I have to give it a go. You know what I mean? Like it's only been a couple of days and I feel like there's an adjustment period. I have to like learn it. So like my plan is to give it at least a few weeks. And if I'm able at the end of a few weeks to maintain the same level of control on multiple daily injections that I was able to maintain on the pump, then for sure I would stay on multiple daily injections. What if you could guarantee like the same control within like a 10% margin, but your perception of your diabetes was more positive throughout the day? Would that matter to you or would you rather have better control, even if it was only... 10% better. Like, let's say it was, yeah. you know, 80% in range as opposed to 90%. Would you pick 90% if it meant going back on the loop? I think I would take the slightly lower control in exchange for the added psychological benefits of being on injections. For sure. And I feel yeah. less sick now. You know what I mean? I, a part yeah. of me just felt, and I'm new to diabetes and you've had it you know, much longer than I have to. And so you've been able to, you know, better adjust to being on a tube, but part of me just felt sick. Like I felt, I felt, I felt sick being reminded by my diabetes every time you know, I sat into a chair and bumped into my pump. It it's funny you say that. Cause it's like consciously, like I, I wouldn't have articulated that consciously to you while I was on the pump, yeah. but now having gone off the pump and onto shots, like I feel like I have a new perspective to being on the pump, both the, the good things and the bad things. And that's definitely one of the bad things. Like, and that's what I, that's what I mean when I, I say it feels more natural being on multiple daily injections. Like there's just something about being on a pump and being hooked up to something that just like, like you said, it makes you feel sick or like makes you feel like, yeah, there's something, something not. And I, yeah. I feel like the like Medtronic and all the people that make amazing insulin pumps are probably, like banning us from their social media right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there's just, there's something unnatural inherently about being connected to an insulin pump. And for everyone that's on them, I'm with you. I got, I learned so much from my insulin pump and it gave me amazing control that I didn't have. And it taught me things about insulin that I would never have learned without a pump. But once I gained that, it only held me back. You know what I mean? Like once I gained the experience of having it, it yeah. only held me back because I was able to get rid of the pump and apply the same methodology to my pens. And so, and that same level of comfort about insulin in my pens. And so, and I know you said that it's a little more difficult because you have to like be on a syringe, but for me with the pen, I act like I'm on a pump all day. You know, if I have to give myself seven or eight shots of insulin a day, that's fine. Yeah. You know, yeah, I open my lunchbox at work. I pull out my pen, put on a needle, boom, bolus real quick. And I, and then I go back to being a human and not connected to anything for the next four hours, you know, in mean, five hours. Yeah. I wish it was something where I feel like it's a very individual choice and it's, there's no like clear cut like answer as to which is oh, better, yeah. you know? It's, and that's one of the up. biggest things about, you know, the review that we're doing is I want to make sure everyone knows like, yeah, I'm not pushing one or the other, but yeah, for people like us that were tempted, 
I wanted to give them something that actually fueled that. And I wanted to make them feel comfortable. Like, hey, you're, you're not the only one who hates their pump. You yeah. know what I mean? You love it, but you hate it. And we're yeah, here. It, to, we're here to make you feel a little more comfortable switching. It's like easy, easily worth giving it a try too. Like, you know, it's an easy prescription. You can keep your pump. It's not like you have to give up your pump and pump supplies. Yeah. You the, know, try it for a couple not, to, not going to come to your door and hold a shot <laughs> your head until you get all the supplies back. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, what's cool about it too, is if, if it doesn't work out, you can just go back and, and even if it doesn't work out, I feel like you, I feel like for me, I've learned things that will benefit me even if I go back to using the pump. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So I think you learn things both ways. So people that are on pins and want to go to a pump, I promise you, you're going to learn a lot and you're going to gain a lot from it and then vice versa. And this, the same goes like if you're, if you're on pens and you, you know, you can get a trial of the pump too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think Omnipod will just like, if you, you can go on their website and fill out, I've never done it, but I, I think you could probably easily sign up for something on their website. Yeah. Do a couple of bureaucratic processes and get a pump sent to you to try out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I got a free Omnipod and free, like few weeks supplies just by putting in a Medtronic serial number, which don't quote me on this, but like you could put in any serial number and they're not going to check if you have a Medtronic. Now Medtronic is going to show up to your door and they're going to have a shotgun to your head. You're like, James, what are you doing? Giving people this terrible advice. We lost right. 72 customers because of you. Whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's something that like, I definitely recommend that like if, if somebody is curious about one or the other, definitely give it a try, see how it goes. And like, everyone's different and so what works for me and you might not work for somebody else but Absolutely. like the only way to find out is to give it a give it a go number one thing that you like about it and i know we've, we've talked about a lot of things and we've muddied the water about all the good and bad so if you had to summarize it the number one thing i think what you brought up which is a state of mind okay. like just not being hooked up to something all the time it makes, I feel like it, it feels like a weight is lifted in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like taking off a tight pair of shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Worst, worst thing. <laughs> the worst thing is for me right now, the control, mm-hmm. like, you know, like I said, I'm used to having much better control than this. And then also like the flexibility of not being able to just press a button every time I want to take a unit, like having to pull out a syringe and draw it out of a vial. Yeah. I feel that's kind of a hassle. So two week check in. What do you think? Like overall impression? I think uh, it's good. I think there's no like perfect diabetes solution. So like I probably said this before, but I think there's pros and cons to being on a pump, pros and cons to being on shot. So, yeah. um, but that's so. the goal. Like the goal of this conversation is to kind of wrap up some of those thoughts and like with a gun to your head, if you had to pick, based on everything yeah. you know now after two weeks so it's like okay we checked in with you like i think like three or four days in and you were liking it but you were you were still kind of getting adjusted to you know the blood sugars and overall your blood sugars had risen yeah. like your average glucose had risen a bit and so where are you now and like with a gun to your head if you had to pick one or the other at this point which would it be yeah so i'm liking it i'm gonna keep going on mdi yes um, <laughs> I feel like I've converted I, you, like, even though I, I wasn't necessarily trying to. 
Yeah, I've been, I've been like traveling in inter- different time zones for the past two weeks though, so I've I've only been back to my old routine for like two days. Yeah, and it's it's my blood sugar has already improved from just being back at home and being mm. on a on a kind of regular routine. So it's becoming much easier to keep control. So I'm confident that I can get close to like the level of control I had on the pump. Running on it, yes or no? Like if you like in a perfect world, would you rather be? Like if you had to race your dream race, would you rather be on MDI or injections? Uh, MDI. Really? Why? Or you said MDI or injections? So. Oh, <laughs> let me let me say uh, that. Uh, In your perfect race scenario, would you rather be on MDI or pump? Uh, MDI, because then I wouldn't have a pump bouncing around. I wouldn't have to worry about an infusion set ripping out. Um. Yeah, it just seems more simple. In terms of like performance or blood sugars, none of that comes into play. It's all about not having to have that pump on you. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of performance, like speed, I don't know because I haven't really done like proper speed training while on MDI yet. But I think definitely in terms of like having less to carry, less to, carry, less to worry about. And also I feel... I feel like it might be easier to manage blood sugar without having to worry about like messing around with temp basils and stuff like that. You know, like yeah, yeah. just be on long acting, eat a, eat a gel if you're going low. Like I've had good success with that so far. Like I've done runs that are like up to, I did like a run from Nice to Monaco, which was like a two hour or something run. And like, dang, yeah, it would drift down, have a gel. I wouldn't spike. And then I'd drift down again, like 30 minutes later, have a gel and I'd like ease up and wouldn't spike. And it was like, perfect. So yeah, that's gotta be, that's gotta feel amazing to feel like you're so controlled. Yeah. Yeah. So like things like that, uh, I think are, they're great. Hey guys, so that wraps up today's show. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe. It's an incredible way to get fresh episodes delivered straight to your phone every week. If you think you or anyone you know would be a perfect interviewee for the show, make sure to reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at type one run podcast or at type one run podcast.com. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you guys again next week. Train hard, train happy, and leave no ones behind.